0: So I don't want to mislead physicians listening out there thinking, oh, yeah, you can become you can in 15 months. But you're you're going to have to put in the amount of hours and the work that we put in, which was, you know, as you know, when you own your own business, you're you're not off. You don't take hours off. You you sleep. And then that's about it. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full time. Get ready to take notes.
1: Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Today, I have the pleasure to introduce to you a man who whose story is super inspirational. I have not known him for a long time, but the little time that I've known him, his story is so touching. And, uh, you know, we always talk in this show is that your life is always going to present you a moment where you have to make a fork on the road where you have to make a decision. Do you want to continue with what you have or the path that you were on or you want to change that path to do something different? And uh, Danny Baumer, Bramer, who is our guest today, his story is one where the life presented him a fork, but it took away the original path, right? So he didn't necessarily have the choice to stick with the original path. He was forced to figure out a new path. And that's really the story. What I want you to listen to this show is more about inspiration. You may or may not be able to resonate completely with the story or with the background. What I want you to look at this as a, as a metaphor, as an, as an abstract story where, uh, where you think, hey, quitting job is not an option because that's the most comfortable thing for you or investing passively is not right for you because you just don't know enough. Look at it from that perspective. If you were in, da- in Danny's shoes, how would you have made that choice? How would you have pivoted? That's really what I want to give. I don't want to give away everything in the intro. I really want you to take that perspective as you're watching as you, as you you're watching or just listening to the episode. I will thank you again, Danny. Appreciate it, buddy. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for
0: having me on the uh, Migrate to Wealth Podcast Socket. I really appreciate the way you continually give of your time and talents to help all those in your investor circle and I, I definitely have benefited from your podcast and learned a ton from you in the past. So I particularly love the way that you give back in the form of educating the underserved youth on practices to build wealth
1: for themselves. So thank well you, Danny. Here. And that's, that's one thing that's common to both of us. I know you're very mission-oriented and we'll talk yeah. about that on the show as well. But before we Great. get deeper, Danny, tell us one thing. I always add, open up the episode with that. What does migrate to wealth mean to you? To me migrate to wealth is a process it's a journey it's
0: not something that happens overnight it is intentional and it takes effort and if anybody tells you differently they're probably somebody you don't want to take a lot of advice from
1: <laughs> yeah so oh, completely completely agree and 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 danny what does wealth mean to you or meant to you or mean to you you can do past or present either one
0: i, I think it's changed over my lifetime right i mean when you're younger success has a totally different meaning than when you're older uh, to me success is living life on your terms living a purposeful life uh, a passion life a life of fulfillment and uh, you know i think that really is what a true uh, truly wealthy life looks like i think uh, i always think of the the movie it's a wonderful life and yeah. the last note he who has friends is you know The most wealthy, or something like that. I'm probably butchering that quote, but uh, it's true. Um, I think living a life of purpose and passion, and having people around you that you care about on a daily basis, is truly the the definition of wealth to me. Completely
1: agree, Danny. I think that's really one of the biggest reasons why we started the show. It's really trying to change the narrative of wealth because you're right. When you're young, all you want to do is be rich, and when I say rich at that time, it's all about money, right? That I want to, I want to have a yacht. I want to have a private jet, I want to do whatever, whatever that money, material well, meant at that point. Mm-hmm. And as we all, and I think it's probably every one of us has gone through that cycle where you start with that and then you hit a little bit of success and then you realize that's it. I felt, I thought it would mean very different. It would feel different, but it doesn't necessarily last for too long. You may have a high for a day, for a week, for a month, for a year, but eventually mm-hmm. all of us will hit that, not rock bottom, but bottom again saying, What's next? And that was the premise of this entire show: that let's talk to people who have already been there. So hopefully, it won't take you age fifty to realize that uh, that this is not it. It may get there. You may get there twenty-five. You may get there twenty. You may get there much faster. Uh, so they have a whole life right. to create an impact. So love that. So thank you again for doing that. So Danny, tell us how your journey from wealth, from what it used to be, to what it is now. What does the journey look like? What does the story arc look like? Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so thanks
0: for asking. I'm a I'm a physician by training, but a serial entrepreneur for living for many years now. I've been a business owner, a real estate investor for well over two decades. I've gained tons of experience in a lot of different asset classes. And my story to to wealth is a little convoluted, I guess. So so bear with me, I guess. Um I'm I'm the youngest of a very large family. Nine of us growing up. My dad was a builder in the 70s. Interest rates were sky high, so we didn't have a ton of means growing up, but my dad believed in hard work. He believed in integrity, honesty, character, and he walked those things out every day of his life. And I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up, but I knew I wanted to help others because my parents valued that, and they passed that down to us. Um, They were always generous with their time and finances, what little finances they had. And you know, fast forward to my first mission trip out of the country, and I was really hooked. Medicine was where I wanted to be, Um, so I went back to medical school actually a little later in life, and the first possibilities of creating uh, generational wealth through real estate was when I used single-family rentals and flips to help actually pay for medical school, and after residency, had an unbelievable job in Alaska. It was quite literally one of the most beautiful places on the planet, if you haven't been. I know you said you have a a trip coming up there. I'd be happy to, to help you itinerary that out. I was a partner in my anesthesia practice. Four amazing kids, an awesome wife. Life was really, really good. And then, kind of what started as a floater in my left eye while I was balancing my checkbook, quickly turned into something that would would change the course of mine and my family's life forever. Tons of testing, many sleepless nights. We found that I had a progressive autoimmune condition. It was pretty rare, but thankfully, it was only going to affect my vision. And but it was going to take away my ability to provide for my family. I'm an anesthesiologist, uh, and that's my 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 training, my certification. So I remember the day that I had to call my partner and tell him, hey man, I'm not going to be able to come in because I can no longer see well enough to do my job. And and little did I know that was going to be the last time I ever practiced clinical anesthesia again. Super hard moment, very tough to digest, but you know, all the years of hard work and dedication and effort that uh, I say we, my family, because you don't go to med school Alone. You go with your family. They, they go through it all with you. And all the residency, everything really was in jeopardy. But, you know, my faith and my family were very integral in getting me through those tough times. And while I was still searching for diagnoses and everything else, stuff to provide for your family, right? So I started researching other career and business opportunities. I went to conferences, looked into becoming, uh, you know, a chief medical officer, or going in the C-suite of the of hospitals and had some offers there that were attractive. But at some point I realized these are all jobs and they could be taken away from me as well. Yeah. As an employee, you're one catastrophic life event away from potential financial devastation. So we all need to work. I'm not saying don't work, but we also need to prepare for a time when that may be taken away from us. So... As I navigated that new normal, we went through some tough transitions and the, and the idea that materialized and, and stuck going forward was no matter what the path was, I didn't want my income or, or my family's wealth to be based on a certain circumstance or a job because they can change very, very, very quickly. And I was experiencing that firsthand. Yeah. So that's when I jumped into you know researching about different asset classes and those types of things. Saw my dad lose really badly in the stock market. Twice when he needed it the most during his retirement years, and so paper assets really didn't hold a, an appeal to right. me. De- didn't live in Texas or Oklahoma at the time. And I wasn't an oil and gas man yet, so striking it rich in oil didn't seem very likely. Uh, I was in Fairbanks, Alaska, and Alaska equals gold, right? So gold fever was running wild, but that seemed to be more speculating than investing to me. So I then came the real estate, and that's where you know I had those previous success flipping homes keeping some single family rentals to help pay for medical school and and read a book that shouldn't be required reading for any person looking how to create generational wealth, which is, you could probably finish it for me, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Rich Dad Poor Dad, yeah. And uh, then I had a great encounter with a, a medical school colleague at a wedding we were both in, and all these factors kind of combined to really change my trajectory. And um, came to realize that cash flow that uh, comes from real estate can last for generations and jobs don't. So I was yeah.
1: on real estate at that point. Love, it, Danny. There's so much in that story, man, and we're we're going to pass a few elements of that. Not because the whole story is not important. I think because I want to I want to get the nuggets out that I think the audience is going to benefit from. So, if you may, if I may ask you, and if you don't if you don't feel comfortable, tell me. We'll always we can always move on. If you go back to the time of your diagnosis, because uh, you're right, you spent a, you and your family have spent a lot of sleepless nights, sacrifices. And all this, so going to medical school is a decade's work, especially as you start looking at specialization. Uh, my wife's side of the family is all doctors, so I know exactly what they've gone through uh, and still are going through. It's not an easy profession to be in because it's very demanding. So when when you take us back to the time where you had the diagnosis, what was going through your head, right? Because I can, I mean, the closest I can, uh, I can relate to that, and it's nowhere close, is when I got laid off in 2017. I was... Now looking back, my pain was nothing as compared to yours, because at least my health wasn't getting affected, right? I I was mentally devastated. My ego was bruised, but I could pick up the bags and do the same exact thing again if I wanted to. I chose a different path, but tell us, go back into that time if you can. Kind of like what was really going through your head? I mean, I would be
0: lying if I said we were we just had this, right? We got this, and we. Eventually we did, Um, but initially it was, it was fear. It was anger, not too much anger, but just like, wow, you know, we, we came all this way to hit this roadblock. But, you know, one of the things that, that really emerged between me and my wife was, was this peace that came about it. it and quite honestly, I, I'd have to say that it's, it, there, there's three tenets I kind of have in my life, and that's faith, family, and freedom. In, in those orders, that's kind of my centering mantra. And when, when tough things happen in our lives, it's time to believe what we believe, right? And and not getting too deep into into my faith, but that that's my faith grounds me. It's it's really yeah. tied to everything I do. I start every morning in prayer and quiet meditation, and, and do I think something that we have a, a a mutual friend, Trevor McGregor, he 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 taught me a, a while back, and and uh, I think he's termed it gratitude stacking yeah. throughout the day, where you know several times per hour I, I bring something to mind that I'm grateful for. It's really hard to be sour or angry or upset when you flood your mind with gratefulness, and you know my family is a close second. They're my why. They're behind everything I do. So we've always prioritized family time, both quantity and quality. And, you know, that changes as they get older and they're in college, but keeping the important things important, I think really grounded me and gave me perspective in a storm that was really raging at that time in my life. And you know, so really, you know, my faith and my family were the two big pillars that we leaned on during those times.
1: And still do. Yeah. Danny, thank you for sharing that. Denny. one thing is kind of, I was thinking about it, and I don't know if you have that insight or not, um, you may. What was going through your wife's? Because, say again, what was going through your wife's head at that time, right? What was- My wife's mind? You know, your wife's mind. What was she working through? Because you were the, you were at least facing it, right? Mm -hmm. She probably felt helpless. What was going through our mind? Well, I mean, we had had moved to Alaska, you know, just a
0: year or so before, and she's an OBGYN, and- we were able to do this move and I was the the primary earner and she was able to stay home and, and be with the kids. I didn't really have a sweet time of life with them. So a lot of the, what's going to happen now, you know, I'm, I've got this new life. If I've got this new sense of purpose with the kids yeah. and having all these amazing adventures and memories, making all these, am I going to have to go back to work full time? You know, is and we really didn't know what was going on for about a year and a half. Right, so we thought initially I had a brain tumor, then we thought I had MS, and I was on MS treatment for six, eight months, and then the 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 visual changes jumped over into my other eye, which then we realized, okay, that's not a common presentation of MS in a, you know, late 30s male. So just a lot of uncertainty and, and fear. But once again, if you ask her, well, she was here with me, but. I think she would tell you the same two things, you know, our faith in our family. We leaned heavily on those things.
1: Well, thank you, Danny, for sharing that. And I know we got we got on the little more vulnerable side of you, but that's I appreciate you digging into it because my big concern is when somebody tells me, there's several of my friends recently have been laid off because, you know, as I tell everyone is, we're all getting to an age where companies sometimes just need a reason to lay you off because they want gender blood. Uh, they'll never accept it and I have no no way to prove or disprove it. Um, but I have this thesis and it's happened, I'm seeing this with a lot of my friends who are in that stage. They feel lost. They feel depressed. They feel like the path is no longer there and they feel confused and they still want to go back to another job, which you were just alluding towards is that, yeah, you can probably become a CMO or some sort of a corporate job where the lives are not at risk and you can, you can work within your capabilities, uh, but it's still a job. Uh, the the universe has presented you a new way of saying your life is changing and you change your profession. Can you change the way you make money? And it did that. So tell us now more about it when you were looking at that shift from being, uh, being a full-time anesthesiologist to now becoming a mm-hmm. full-time investor. Before you picked the asset classes, what was again going through your head, right? Because, and, and I'll give you some context of where I'm going with this is, I hear a lot, I don't have enough money. I hear a lot. I don't have a... To, to be a real estate investor, you need to own hundreds of homes, right? To be, to have a cash flow, cash flow, Pretty there's there's a lot of no's, right? Why you shouldn't do that. But I want to do what to to bring to light, what were the reasons for you to do it that overpowered that why you shouldn't do it? Because for anything that you want to do, there are 10,000 reasons why you shouldn't do it. And there's usually only right. one reason why you should do it. So help us understand that. Right. And as physicians, we get into analysis
0: paralysis quite a bit because we're taught all through medical school and residency that you make a mistake, people die. Right. And while that is a bit hyperbolic, sometimes it's true. So trying to find the right asset class and, and making that jump, to me, what helped me was having another colleague, a friend, a mentor that could that was already just one step ahead of me. Yeah. And seeing him have proof of concept... That really solidified, okay, and reading on my own, a lot of different uh, about real estate and that asset class in particular. You know, it, it, as most physicians know, we learn a ton in medical school. but What we were really hone our craft is in residency. So the business partner that I mentioned earlier, we, we, we sought out and we paid mentors in the space to teach us everything they knew about multifamily. That's what we jumped right. into first. We scaled that. Very quickly, eight hundred and fifteen units in a matter of a few years, and I was able to replace my income as a physician in about fifteen months after buying our first apartment complex. So that was definitely proof of concept for me. That's when I was like, okay, this definitely is the direction I want to take my family for sure.
1: Love that, love that. And 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 tell me now. So let's let's go through the let's go through one analysis right there that uh, when you talk to the young physicians now, mm. giving that lens where your work meant everything to you and you probably worked a lot of hours as an anesthesiologist, and I believe I have a, very f- a few friends who are an anesthesiologists, seems just very stressful because a lot's depending on how much gas you put in somebody's body for them to mm. be able to not feel something and be still be able to wake up, right? And there's a lot that goes and it's very stressful, I've heard. I, I've never been in that situation, so I can't describe that to now giving a point where you said that in 15 months, your cash flow from the apartments was covering your salary as as an anesthesiologist. So when you reflect back on that dramatic shift where you have to work your butt off to make that X amount of money, and now you're making that passively through investing in a a multifamily, what was going through your head? And I don't know if you saw that before, because I'm assuming you had a few single-family homes, but single families don't have that level of impact because you make $220, $200, the scale has to be there. When you're buying a multifamily, definitely, definitely there is a scale. So help me understand what was going through your head when you saw the proof of what you were thinking is possible. Yeah. Relief, joy, you know, my, my wife
0: smiling. That was awesome. But but really, I, I don't want to minimize the amount of work that we put into this. This was active you know, like I said, we went out, it was myself and him, and you know, maybe one or possibly another partner in each of the deals, we ended up scaling very quickly, actively. So I don't want to mislead physicians listening out there thinking, oh yeah, you can become, you can in 15 months, but you're, you're going to have to put in the amount of hours and the work that we put in, which was, you know, when, as you know, when you own your own business, you're, you're not off. You don't take hours off, you, you sleep, and then that's about it. So it was a very... Concerted, you know, hard-driving effort to get there. That being said, though, I, I think with you know, principal stacking, time value of money, cash-flowing assets, those types of things, physicians can very readily be financially free in you know five, maybe ten years, where their passive income is outpacing their income that they're making as a physician. And, and yeah. once your, or not even your income, but just your expenses. Once you've met your expenses you're kind of out of the rat race and then like, you're practicing because you want to, not because you have to. So, you know, when I when I say that, that was a, a very concerted effort by myself and my business partner. He was still a, a full-time ER doc at that point, but a full-time ER doc at that point was eight to 10 shifts a month. So he could still put a lot of effort into our real estate, building our real estate
1: uh, holdings as well so uh, Danny let's let's talk about that for a second so why should why should we'll talk about physicians for now because I know that's your that that that's somebody who will closely relate to you and we have some physicians who listen to our show why should physicians focus on building passive wealth? well what's happening in the industry what's going on when you're talking to your because when I'm talking to some of the physicians in my network they're like well this is not for me this I don't care about these investments because real estate, I can't take tax advantage, this and that. There's, again, multiple no's, which I understand where they're coming from. But from a physician perspective, you were one of them. Why would you recommend them to build wealth? Well, the first, key, the first reason, because what happened to me? You know, you're
0: one catastrophic life event away from having your ability to practice taken away from you. Say so you're a surgeon and you have a, a bad skiing accident and your left hand is rendered useless. It's an extreme example, right? But look at healthcare changes right now. Physicians I talk to daily are getting burned out because they're asked to see more patients for less compensation. DMOs are coming in and gobbling up um, these organizations. There's just a lot of uncertainty right now in job security for physicians. I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous, having such a physician shortage in the U.S., But it's true. Physicians are concerned. I was talking to a radiologist up in New Jersey just a few days ago that really wanted to accelerate his investing because he was afraid that his contract was not going to be renewed. Right. So a a lot of it has to do with, you know, we all went into medicine. We, We didn't go in for the money or the prestige or anything like that. We Most of us truly went in because we love serving others. We love helping people and healing people. So to be able to do that on your terms... Rather than your employer's terms is very, very empowering and fulfilling, yeah. and so most physicians I talk to, it's it's jumping into the first thing we start talking about is mindset, right? We start talking about what's an asset, what's a liability, yeah, and and just very, very basic in figuring those things out, and then talking about 401ks and stocks and bonds and mutual funds and ETFs and all those things that can go to zero, but hard assets do not go to zero. You know, you mentioned tax advantages. There's still tons of tax advantages that physicians can realize even if they invest passively. If you invest in stocks and bonds and you get dividends on those, you're paying taxes on it. If you invest in a real estate syndication deal and they do cost segregation analysis, you're not paying taxes on that income. Now, there may be some recapture, but the longer they hold it, the less the recapture. And also, you're getting that money that, you know, it's the whole time value of money. You're getting the money now. Now go put to work somewhere else. If you're going out and buying golf carts and boats and those types of things, then you're making the wrong decision. But all I can do is put cash in your pocket, make it as tax advantaged as possible, and then set you free to go find more assets to cash flow.
1: Love that, Danny. Danny, again, uh, I think you and I can talk for length for hours and hours and hours uh, because we're we're cut from the same crop. Same, same because I think we're yeah. kind of, uh, we maybe talking to two different, two different audiences, but the messaging is so similar, right? Which is, which is amazing that I think no matter what you do in life, creating another stream of income that you don't have to work for is something everyone should look into, right? Mm. Now, what I want to make true. sure is that people like Danny, people like myself are available to have a conversation, come to us. And just because Danny's serving physicians uh, does not mean that if you're a business owner, he won't talk to you. Because chances are, your tax problems are similar. Your, your challenges are similar. You're working your butt off in a business like a physician would in a, in a clinic or anywhere else. So you, you, we all think we're unique, but we're not. Our problems, most of our problems, financial problems are similar because of the world that we live in. So I appreciate that, Danny, and thank you again for going deep into your story. Danny, as you move forward in your life right now, is multifamily still the asset that, that you're bullish on or you have now incorporated other assets in your portfolio?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I talked about my faith, but when it comes to assets, I'm agnostic. Yeah, good. You know, wherever whatever I can create cash flow, drop app appreciation, realize tax advantages, I'm very, very interested. I do like multifamily, especially in 2024. Yeah, um, I feel that there's a reset upon us, right? I mean, with with tons of properties purchased in 2020 and 2021 that were over market value with crazy low cap rates and and even crazier underwritten exit cap rates. Mm -hmm. And then you compound that on terms of the bridge debt that they use to acquire these assets to the tune of like 1.7 to 2 trillion, depending on what resource you're looking at and loan maturities coming due by the end of 2024. I think there's going to be some good opportunities in several asset classes, but currently I am a big uh, fan of RV parks, uh, mobile home parks, car washes, with these things, you know, they're generally offering excellent cash flow, tons of opportunities to drive appreciation, give me my tax benefits of the depreciation. Mm-hmm. And there is much more opportunity for attractive seller financing because these are relatively unconsolidated subclasses in real estate, right?
1: Love that. Love that. Danny, uh, we're coming towards the end of our uh, recording here. So I do want to ask, jump into a completely different side of our question there. One is, there is a 20-year-old Danny somewhere listening to this episode. What's one key insight, as you reflect back on your life, what's one key insight that you can give them that will alter the trajectory of their migration into wealth for good? Mm, one? Wow, Socket, that's... You're, you're,
0: I know. You're pulling me in here. There's several. I mean, one of them, you know, I guess if you're talking about somebody who's just starting out, right? I mean, you're 20, you're likely not well-capitalized, right? So I would say... And, and this sounds kind of trite, but it's not. Read voraciously. It is the easiest way to learn from others and what they have done. It, it doesn't mean you'll do what they do, but it, it's really a way to learn the space. It's by far the cheapest form of education. You know, we mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad. There's also Cashflow Quadrant, which is a kind of an a, a oldie, but a goodie. I love Tom Wheelwright's stuff, Tax Free Wealth and his newer books. Tax-free wealth changed my life. It it opened the the door to depreciation. Killing Sacred Cows, Garrett Gunderson, Who Not How, Dan Sullivan, all these things will change your mindset and deprogram your little 20-year-old self from what your high school and and colleges are teaching you about our financial system. They Mm. tried to sell this, this story to us our entire life. And the same goes for podcasts and YouTube and social channels with great content, your content. Facebook groups specific to the subclass that you're investing in. There are a ton of resources out there that are free for education for a for a young person trying to really make their way in this investable
1: universe. That's quick, Danny. Denny, how are you? I've not I usually don't ask this question, but it seemed like I want to ask this. I want to ask you this question. You, you said you have kids, right? I do. Four. Yep. Four. How are you imparting your life? lessons to them in a way I mean, there's multiple ways to do that but in a way that resonates with them
0: well we started way back in alaska we bought cash flow quadrant or cash flow for kids yeah and i was shocked at the younger the child the better they did and that was an eye opener for me that was already kind of a, a warning sign if you will of, for the indoctrination that that our kids are getting in high school about finances and those types of things so mm-hmm. i made it my mission to and part on them as much as humanly possible. So as far as underwriting spreadsheets, the language they use a lot of the times they're like, teach me more, teach me more. I don't feel like I know anything. But, you know, their languages and assets and liabilities and ROI and NOI and those types of things. And I and I keep encouraging them, they're so far ahead of their peers just by knowing this language and understanding what an asset is, what cash flow is. But you know, we have SDRAs that we all invest and in, we we, um, I always say, use a tax advantage vehicle to a tax disadvantage asset class. So anything we do right. actively, like flipping, we'll do in an SDIRA through a third party. I have them involved in in a a strategy that I use with options and stuff like that. That kind of book in the market, and we sell coupons to you know hedge fund managers that have to buy them because they have um, parameters that they have to their fund has to meet. So we're there to sell those. I taught them how to do that. They are involved in mineral rights. Um, so they're basically you know anything that doesn't require them to be an accredited investor. Obviously, they're not there yet, but hopefully they will be saved. And, and really, it's just practicing, walking out what I preach. So if, I'm, if I'm talking to you. about it, we need to figure out a way for them to be involved
1: in it as well. Correct. I think that's the key, right? Because you can talk to them and no one locks, no one likes to be talked at. No, if you're engaging them, if you're, if you're, because that becomes lecturing and, and no one's perfect. We all make mistakes, especially with the kids. They're the first ones to point you out, right? Say, well, you're not perfect. You're making the, you're doing the same <laughs> thing you asking me to not to do. So why are you asking me? Well, if you actually show them and getting, get, get them engaged, it's, it may, chances are it will, but it may turn their brains for good in the right direction, in a direction that's. Opposite unfortunately, to the mainstream, because the mainstream world just wants you to get educated super educated to fit in a put in an assembly line of working right that's what that's what the schools are mailed uh, to to put you in an assembly line now you want to be in the assembly line or you want to own the assembly line that's really the difference uh, that you're teaching them, which is amazing. Thank you for doing that thank you for sharing that insight. The last question of the show here is really danny about. And I have a, because you're a man of faith, I have a feeling that you've, you've, you've pondered upon that question. As you reflect back on people that you interacted with, life that you've had, what's, uh, what's one thing that you believe humanity as a whole should migrate towards? I'd missed the last part of that. So, the humanity as a whole, no. the humanity as a whole should migrate towards in the next few decades. Where are the gaps in humanity? Wow. That's a really, really good question.
0: But I always, I, I guess, revert to serving others and the more we serve others it is really difficult to be in a funk to be in a bad mood to be sour when you're actively giving of your time to help others and i think we've lost that with you know this we're having a, a digital communication right now but with our digital world we've really lost that connection that connectivity right the community and and learning how to truly live in a way for others, for other people, be others focused. So I think what what I would love to see is people jumping in and not virtue signaling online like all the things that they're doing. I want to see them actually doing it, right? I mean, Being out of the community, serving each other, and it can start in the home. You know, I tell my kids all the time: feel free to do the dishes without me telling you. Feel free to take out the garbage. Right. I think the more we serve each other. And give each other a value without the expectation of return, you know, truly
1: serving to serve. Right. I I think it really changes who we are as a person. Love that. Danny, thank you again for sharing this insight, man. Did I, I I wish we had more time to continue talking about this. This is the absolute delightful conversation. Uh, But anyway, if people want to look at you, look, look at the work you do, get in touch with you, where can they find you?
0: Yeah. And if you'll indulge me just for a second before I give, you know, my information, I just kind of want to share one key concept for your listeners that really has, has been good for me. It's been good for my close friends, my family, my kids, as we all come of age in these crazy economic times, you know, and because all of this can seem overwhelming, especially to physicians and entrepreneurs and all those listeners out there who are overworked and stressed, it can elicit fear and anxiety and just, just completely stop you from moving. It can just be immobilizing. So, the best way to combat that is just take a step. If you take a step, you're not stuck and you're making progress. And, and progress pounds out fear and empowers us to do amazing things. So, I just want to lead your listeners with that. Just right. take mm-hmm. that step, whatever that step is, make sure it's a forward step and empower yourself. So, and yeah. they do they really talk to me about that concept or any other concept that we've talked about, um, obviously they can reach out to me by going to my website, which is cashflowmd.com. That's just cashflowmd.com. And my email is danny at thecashflowmd.com. I'd also love to give your listeners my free ebook if they'd like to have that. It's called Dose of Diversification. And it covers a lot of the questions and answers that I'm asked by doctors and other entrepreneurs really wanting to know more about real estate investing. They can get that by going to winmytimeback.com. That's winmytimeback.com, all one word.
1: Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you for a generous offer. I'm sure I encourage people to look at it. And I've not read that book myself, but if this conversation is of any reflection, uh, your mind's going to be blown away. I, uh, so part of that is just being, being uh, absorbing from somebody who has been in your path. And when I say that, not necessarily, you don't have to be a physician to read the book. You could take those same concepts, even if you're an entrepreneur, it still applies to you. Even if you're a corporate employee, it Absolutely. still applies to you. These concepts are evergreen and it applies to everyone. So thank you again, Danny. Appreciate your time, buddy. And thank you again for the listeners. If you're listening to this part, I always say that. Thank you because uh, I know your time's valuable. And while we can give you education and while we can give you money back for any offer we may have ever had, We cannot give you your time back. Time's our most valuable resource and we appreciate you tuning in, listening in. If there's anything we can do for you, you know where to find me, you know where to find Danny. Please feel free to reach out and we'd love to hear from you.
0: Thank you again. Thanks again for having me on, Socket. I appreciate it. It's been an amazing conversation. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below.